Well, my name's Pastor John. Uh, I was just down there singing, recollecting uh, how that on May 1st, it'll, it'll be six months uh, from the time my family and I drove out from Chicago to Utah and how, how much more comfortable I feel up here on stage in front of you all. And some of you had, have actually uh, said, uh, pulled me aside and made some kind comments about that, and, and I do appreciate that. As you can tell, I'm feeling much more comfortable up here. But in all, in all honesty, um, I still stand before you in fear and trembling um, before the Lord as, as, I, as I prepare to deliver his word. So let's go to him in, in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. You are awesome. You are holy, Lord. You are set apart. We are completely other than you. You are the creator, God. We are the creation. And Lord, yet, although we rebel and sin against you, Lord, you have loved us anyway. You have sent Jesus to rescue us, Lord, and we are so grateful that you have. And God, so we just come humbly before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here among us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us, Lord. And I, I just ask, Lord, that you use the fallible mouth of this preacher to, to deliver your infallible word and that those from the sound of my voice this morning would, would have the ears to hear and the hearts to do your will for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you all for coming out this morning. Um, I think we may have a, a special guest, although I don't see him. I think Brian Dwyer, the, the founding pastor of Alpine Church, is here this morning um, uh, to, to observe. So make sure you laugh extra hard at my jokes. <laughs> I, I noticed the last couple times I've been up here, you've been slipping. Okay. Um, <clears throat> welcome to week four the final week in our Proof of, of Life series. Uh, over the last four weeks, or the previous three weeks, we've been looking at the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the stories of, of those who were actually there with Jesus and, and saw it happen. And what's cool about a lot of these stories, well, all of them that we've been talking about, is that they're people that are just, just like us. Uh, in, in week one, we took a look at, there we go, we took a look at the outsiders or, or the women, because outside, uh, women were considered uh, outsiders in that time, in that day, they were, they were marginalized. Um, we, we looked at how Jesus cares for the marginalized, how he, how he invited these women into his very public ministry at a time when... Um, uh, many men wouldn't even acknowledge their own wives in public. Certainly the religious elite of the day would not acknowledge their own wives in public. And, and, and I think, like, wow, look, look at how far we've come. You know, I can think of countless times where my wife will refuse to not acknowledge me in, in public. So, so what's, what's the point? The fact of the matter is that, that women's testimony was not... Um, valid in that day and time, would not have even been considered in a court of law. So if the disciples, if the writers of the Gospels were looking to make up a believable story, the last thing they would have done was included these 
these testimonies of the women, especially as they're the first accounts of the resurrection. And this points to the trustworthiness of Scripture and therefore the trustworthiness of the, the stories in Scripture and therefore proof of life. Week two, we, we took a look at the faith... Oh, I went too far there. There we go. Week two, we looked at the faith journey of Thomas and his faith journey had some peaks and some valleys and if we're honest, so has all of ours. Uh, we, we looked at how Jesus was not offended by Thomas's doubts. Um, we looked at how Jesus is happy to meet us right where we are at in that place of doubt and help us, just like he did with Thomas, declare, my Lord and my God. And, and again, um, this points to the truthfulness of this historical account. Now, John was the one who recorded the story of Thomas in his gospel. And I, I can imagine, again, these people, these, these disciples are just like you and me. I can imagine Thomas going uh, to John and saying, hey, John, I noticed you put that part in there about me and the unbelief and doubt and not believing until I saw, you know, the, would, would, you mind, would you mind just leaving that out? Would you mind fudging that for me a little bit? I mean, we could still do the stuff about Jesus walking through the wall and talking to us all, but can we just leave that part out and I can see, I can see John going, you know, you know, I think we, we ought to include it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really feeling inspired that it should be in there. I felt inspired to, to write it, Thomas, and, and Thomas says, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I even bothered you with this. I'm, I, maybe I'm feeling a little self-conscious about what people might think of me if this story was to, was to really spread. And, and John says, you know what, it's all right. Don't worry about it, DT. Whew. Doubting Thomas, get it? Okay, anyway. The worst nickname. He got the worst nickname of all history, right? So last week we talked at, we looked at Peter, how Peter was uh, really the guy that had this tough exterior, um, but on the inside he was full of all sorts of insecurities. He was constantly getting it wrong, putting his foot in his mouth, um, he denied Jesus not once but three times, but God's love for Peter did not, was not dependent upon Peter's performance. And we saw Jesus restore Peter and give Peter a mission. And I like what Pastor Chris said uh, last week. He said, you know, God wants to do this for all of us. He can take our mess and make it into his mission. That, that one was worth writing down for sure. Today, we are going to look at the life of Paul, Paul the Zealot. And what's a little bit different about Paul is that, um, you know, he, he wasn't with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He wasn't a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry. But make no mistake about it, Paul was a follower. Paul's aim was to follow his religion to the letter. When it came to the religious system that Paul grew up in, you could find no more of a sincere follower. Paul was so successful at living, pardon me, Paul was very successful at living this religious life, but the problem is his confidence in his own religion, in his own goodness, his own self-righteousness pitted him squarely against God, squarely against Jesus. Let's take a look here at what Paul had to say 
about his own religious efforts in Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who deemed the strictest, who demanded, pardon me, the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as righteousness goes, I obeyed the law without fault. I get, you kind of get the idea about Paul that if he was to introduce you, you know, himself to you, he'd be like, hey, I'm Paul, and you're not. You know, he had, this has got kind of a smug attitude to it, a smug ring to it, doesn't it? What can we glean about Paul here in this passage? We see that he's a guy that would outwork you and one-up you religiously, right? If you fasted for a day, he'd fast for two. We see a guy that crossed every T and dotted every I when it came to his religious customs and, and laws and traditions, we see that Paul came from the right pedigree, had the right family background. And finally, we see that Paul is a member of the Pharisees. So in other words, he's a member of the right religious institution. And Paul really was no hypocrite. He was the real deal. Spiritually speaking, Paul was a guy that you wanted to be in that day. And here's the irony. Paul's love for his religion compelled him to persecute the very followers of the one true God he was attempting to please. And these followers were so certain that Jesus had risen from the dead that they were willing to be persecuted for their belief that he was the promised Savior. Now, Paul was not okay with this teaching. Again, Paul had so much confidence and pride attached to his self-righteous religious efforts that he began a persecution campaign against these Jesus followers, which we can read about right here in Acts chapter 26. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very, pardon me, did I go too far? Where am I at here? Yeah, okay, here we go. Sorry about that. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So Paul's zeal to defend his religious system, his religious beliefs had pitted him squarely against Jesus and Jesus' followers. And it's, you know, it's easy to look at Paul from our vantage point and think, well, you know, certainly Paul had it wrong. He was a mean religious guy, right? God wouldn't have been pleased with Paul. He was, he was you know, his hand was um, involved in the murder of Christians, Christians for goodness sakes. And, and thank, thank God that, you know, I'm, I'm a good religious guy. I'm not like Paul. I do good religious things. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Have you ever placed confidence in your own goodness? Now, some may, some may admit, admit, yeah, I've, I've done that, but 
Or like you'd say, well, you know, Pastor John, I, I, I know I'm a sinner, but, you know, I, I'm better than that guy or that gal. I don't sin as much as those people. Which is just a roundabout way of saying, I've got confidence that my goodness is good enough to get a passing grade. Another question, have you ever placed confidence in the religious organization or institution you belong to? Even if it's right here at Alpine, Alpine Church. This is the idea. You see, well, this group, they have it right. And so if I associate myself with this group, then by default, I've got it right, and certainly God will give me a passing grade. If you can say yes to those attitudes in even a small way at some time now or even in your past, then you probably have more in, Paul, uh, in common with Paul than you may know. And, you know, that was my story growing up. I grew up a proud Protestant, you know, uh, pardon me, my wife's a Catholic, so I can say this, but we thought the Catholics were you know, at least a half step over, right? And then the rest of you all, well, you weren't even on the reservation. You, know, you were so far out you couldn't see in. And, and, this, and this gave me confidence that I was with the, the right group. You know, I, I, I checked all the religious boxes growing up. I was confirmed. I was, I was baptized. I went to a Wednesday night youth group, those kinds of things. So... Certainly, I, I didn't live my life in a, in a pious way. I, I mean, in that way, I had nothing in common with Paul, but in the sense that I was putting my faith in my religion and the institution I belonged to, uh, I had quite a bit in common with, with Paul. Now, if anyone was worthy, if anyone was worthy based on his religious performance, it would have been Paul, but Paul was far from God. His Religious efforts were in vain. But there is good news. There is hope in Paul's story and hope for all of us. You see, as hard as, as Paul was working to reach God, to his surprise, God did everything to reach him. Paul had a surprise encounter with the resurrected Christ and in one moment his entire approach to God was turned upside down. Let's read about it here uh, in, in Acts chapter 9 and just some context. This is Paul on his way out, uh, really on a mission to round up Christ followers. And then this happens. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Side note, Saul being his Hebrew and Jewish, Jewish name, Paul being his Roman Greek name, Paul the name that he went by as he turned his ministry eventually toward the Gentiles, toward all of us. So let's, let's pause here for a moment. Here we have a guy who starts off resolved to take out Jesus' followers. And then Jesus appears to him, knocks him down, blinds, blinding light, 
and simply says to him, hey, Paul, you're playing for the wrong team. Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jesus who is coming back to judge the living and the dead, Jesus who the book of Revelations declares will come back and execute fierce wrath on his enemies and has, has every right to take out Paul and eliminate this threat. And some of us might be thinking, yeah, this is a great opportunity. You know, take him out, Jesus. If this was an action film of our day, this is what we'd be rooting for, right? But instead, Jesus simply introduces himself to Paul. And some of you, many of you, I hope, know exactly what I'm talking about. You thought you had life figured out. You were doing your best at plain church, plain religion. You thought you had the right religious formula. You would have taken offense if someone would have challenged this formula. Or maybe you'd walked away from religion altogether and thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just too smart for that. And then, bam! Amazing grace introduced himself to you. Jesus Christ introduced himself to you. And in an instant, you finally understood what all of us have been singing about every Sunday. <laughs> Amazing grace indeed. And just like your experience, after this miraculous event, God changed Paul's life forever. Listen to what happens next as we pick back up in verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers. I'm going to emphasize this. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? So look at this. Paul has this amazing change of heart toward Christians. He was just attempting to drag off to be persecuted and killed. And now, apparently, he's their house guest. He's like, he's like having a sleepover. And, and can you imagine if you were one of the deacons at First Damascus Bap, uh, um, Baptist and, and one of the elders comes to you and says, hey, you know, I've got, we've got this, this guy we really want you to put up for a few days. Oh, yeah, no problem. Who is it? Saul of Tarsus. What? Saul of Tarsus? This guy that's been, been persecuting us? You want me to put... Uh, they didn't get any sleep. They didn't get any sleep those nights that Paul stayed there, I, I, I'm sure. And remember how Paul, well, also, I want to bring this point out, another major change is now he, he goes from blaspheming or, or attempting to get others to blaspheme Jesus to preaching in public that Jesus Christ is God. And remember how Paul had such confidence in his own good works, in his upbringing, in his uh, obedience, in his church membership. And all that changed in a moment. Listen to what he says here after experiencing Jesus in Philippians. I once thought these things were of value, but now 
I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul's entire approach to God has been turned upside down, or rather, flipped right side up. He now says his religious efforts are worthless when compared to knowing Jesus as God. Knowing him. Not just like knowing of him. You know, I know Abraham Lincoln existed, and that's how I used to know Jesus. Yeah, I, I know Jesus. He, he existed. This is a different type of knowing. This is a relational knowing. Paul has moved from faith in religion to faith in Jesus Christ. And to some degree, all of us can relate to Paul before his encounter with Christ. And maybe that's where you're at today. And here's some good news. Paul's story is proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that he can be found by anyone who is willing to admit they've got it wrong. The radical turnaround in Paul's life is one of the best pieces of historical evidence for the reality of the resurrection that we have. I mean, think about this. Paul goes from thinking, who, who by the way, Paul was a very highly educated man. Um, I believe it's, it's been said that do, a doctorate many times over, okay? He goes from thinking, you know, the most reasonable thing I can do with my life is to persecute Christians to, you know, the, the most reasonable thing I can do with my life is to be persecuted for Christians. How can we explain this unless he actually met the resurrected Christ? Let's just imagine for a minute what this would have meant for Paul. Right? It, it meant that he it immediately went from being the predator to being the prey. It cost him everything. It cost him his family, his friends, everything that he, he learned growing up, all that education, his status, his comfort, his pride, and eventually it would cost him his life. Now think, think about this. Do you think if Paul would have had the smallest microscopic doubt in his mind that he actually encountered the risen Lord? Do you think he would have traded his life of privilege for a life of, of hardship, beatings, floggings, imprisonment, shipwreck, hunger, and again, an unpleasant death? I would say it's improbable and more so impossible. Paul's life transformation points us to proof of life, points us to the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed alive. Now let's take a look at Paul's attitude toward religion here after his, his conversion. Philippians 3, 9 through 11. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I mean, I really don't have to say any more. Scripture says it all here. He, he says he used to count on his own righteousness, but now he becomes righteous, not by his own efforts and confidence in his own religion, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul says that he now knows that the way to God is not through religion and his good deeds, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Listen, the Christian message is not one that says, you know, we've got better rules than you. What you need to do is come over and follow all rules. Our rules are going to get you where you want to go. Nor is the Christian message one that says, hey, you know what? Your rules, they're just too oppressive. They're just, you know what? You just come on over with us. Have some fun. Lighten up. Drink some coffee, for goodness sakes, and enjoy life. No, that's not what the Christian message is saying. The Christian me message is that rules, the law, cannot save you from hell. Cannot restore your relationship with the living God. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. Jesus plus nothing. By the way, the t-shirts are on sale in the lobby after service. <laughs> Dear Lord, help us. We hope that during this series, you've, you've discovered that faith in Jesus is not a blind faith. You see, the gospel writers were inspired to write everything down just the way it happened. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Because God knew that there would be outsiders, that there would be those who are marginalized that could relate. And God wants to reach the outsiders and the marginalized. God knew that there would be those who would come to whom are struggling with gout, doubt. And God's okay with that. He wants to reach you. God knew that even for those that have denied Christ, he wanted to show that there's a way back to him through his son, Jesus. God wants to reach anyone who will sincerely seek him and humbly admit that they've got it wrong. Our faith is, is only as good as the object we place it in. Have you placed your faith in Jesus alone? Or are you still striving to come to God by rules and rituals and religion? Just like Paul was. Or maybe you're someone who's been taught, well, we just need help from Jesus. You know, Jesus, he, he's our example, and if we can live like him, then, then we can please God. You know, WWJD or be the good. Don't, don't hear me wrong. These, these things in the proper context, of course, are good. Yes, we want to look to Jesus, our example, but please hear me. If you do not put your faith 
100% in Jesus, you are in danger. In closing, I'm going to quote from a renowned preacher from the 1700s, a little expert from a sermon he gave that was said to bring revival to our country. Here's what Jonathan Edwards says. The unseen and unexpected ways that people leave this world are too numerous to imagine. The unconverted walk over the pit of hell on a rotten bridge. And there are countless places on that bridge that are too weak to bear their weight. These places go unseen. All the schemes and efforts to escape hell while they continue to reject Christ do not secure them from hell for even one moment. Almost every natural person who hears of hell deceives themselves that they will escape it. They rest in their own false security, flattering themselves with the good things they have done, are now doing, or intend to do. We don't hear preaching like that so much nowadays, do we? Friends, Jesus is our sure bridge to safety. Stop trusting in your own goodness and start trusting in Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation. Maybe today is your Damascus Road conversion right now. Would you forsake your religion and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that our ultimate blessing is not just that we would be rescued from hell, Lord, but by the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we could be back in relationship with you. And we thank you, Jesus, for living the sinless life on our behalf, paying the death penalty that we deserve for our sin. Lord, so that we could have forgiveness. And thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead to give us your life and your righteousness. Thank you, Father, for the word made flesh. Thank you, Father, that you are strong enough to preserve your word, the trustworthiness of Holy Scripture that although we have not seen, we are indeed blessed to confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen.